Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And you know it is my absolute pleasure to bring thought leaders and top-notch guests who have expertise in certain topics onto the show. And so, of course, today's no different. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Chris Noggle, America's number one money mentor, founder of The Money School, author of Mapping Out the Millionaire Mindset, and so much more. Chris's core belief is that success is built not by the resources you have, but how resourceful you can be. His curriculum provides insights on building your wealth, keeping your money in your family, paying off debt and expenses, and more, and all without taking on any risk, working any harder, or changing your cash flow, or losing control. So today he joins us to share a little bit about what this looks like when you might be in transition and so and what you can do to maximize your finances. So Chris, welcome to the show. Oh, I'm excited to be here. And you know, during that intro, I, I like some things were going on in my mind of remembering like the first time we did this, it was, I'm really pumped to do this. This is so exciting. So, and as I mentioned before we started, this is the first time we've talked about money on the show, but it's a really critical aspect, especially if you're in transition in between jobs. But before we jump into the meat, I think it is so important as well, because as important as money is, I think networking and connections are just as important. So I'm curious, do you remember how we got connected? Yeah, it was Steve Sims, the master of disaster. <laughs> That's funny that you call him the master of disaster. I thought you were going to call him the master of connections because we're at well, least the master of designing dreams, right? So he's For pretty sure. amazing. He's so I want to give a shout out to Steve. I think this was an awesome connection. I just really appreciate him introducing us to you because I just know you're going to give our audience such valuable information today. So... Talk to us a little bit about you and what you do. I've introduced you, but how did you get to be the money guy? Well, you know, it's a, it's a long story, but a simple one in nature. I grew up with no money. I grew up in a family that didn't have money. And anytime I wanted things, I had to get resourceful. I had to, you know, first dream it. And then I had to really believe I could do it. And I just had to keep being consistent and persistent in those, those goals. And, you know, I was a, a kid that had a big dream of being a pro snowboarder and that's, really kind of the first first big hurdle I had to get over. And everybody told me I couldn't do it. And then I ended up doing that. And along with doing that, I also decided by 16, working for a terrible employer who degraded me every day that I didn't want to trade hours for dollars. So I became self-employed at 16 years old by starting a clothing line in my mom's basement called Fat Clothing Company, P-H-A-T. That, that little clothing line provided just enough money for me to travel around the country snowboarding and making that dream happen. But by 17, the next big dream became, I wanted my own store and I needed a $70,000 loan. So when you're 17 and, and when you're a kid, you know, the one thing that I love about children is there's no boundaries. There's nothing stopping them from dreaming as big as they want. Hey, if they wanna 
dream that they're going to be the first astronaut on the moon or on Mars, like that's exactly what they think they can do. There's nothing saying they can't until life tries to get them and other people try to get them to conform. Well, at this point, 17, I've never had boundaries. Now, all of a sudden, I need 70 grand and everybody's telling me no. And I realized, wow, I had boundaries. I had people telling me that's a stupid idea. You're going to lose all your money. Kind of like that movie. You'll shoot your eye out, kid, right? <laughs> this is the first time someone started telling me I'm going to shoot my eye out. And I started awesome to difference. believe that nonsense. And it was hard. And then my mother, my unconditional one, I call her, she never had anything, but she got the house in the divorce, a 700 square foot, two bedroom house. And she put her house on the line so that I could chase that dream and open that store. And it was a really stupid thing for her to do, but she did it. And that's the first real point in my life where I actually had to realize the importance of money. You know, up to that point, it was just a means to get me where I wanted. And the stores became reality. I ran them successfully all the way to 2010 when I sold them off. But the one thing that happened is when the dot-com crash hit, I'd never seen a recession. I didn't even know what the word meant. I'm like, recession? Oh, whatever. You know, and it hit. And then all of a sudden I saw what it meant in business. So I ended up having, having to get a job. And I was going to deliver pizzas, but I ended up putting my resume out and I landed in, in of all places for a punk snowboard kid to land, Wall Street. <laughs> I ended up working in Wall Street. And I remember first, when I first started, they got me because like they, you know, the big guy at the end of the table is this big boardroom table. He slides his keys down saying, kid, you're going to make a bunch of money. You got everything it takes. Slides his Porsche keys down. And he's like, you could have one of these too. And I'm like, yeah, I want one of those. At Porsche, I'm like, that's so far out of my reach. But it was supposed to be a temporary thing to get me through this dot-com crash recession thing that was happening. And I ended up loving it. And I started working on my retail stores, but working in Wall Street. And I became one of the top advisors from 2003 to 2008. I was crushing and I was making a ton of money. And I was learning all the traditional financial knowledge, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, how to, how to sell products, how to you know work in the financial world, write financial plans. And Everything was going great until 2008 when the Great Recession hit. And the Great Recession literally brought me straight to my knees. And I was one payment away from being completely bankrupt because I was highly leveraged. I was buying a strip mall and I was 370 grand in the hole to this hard money lender. And I'll never forget that. I'm thinking, if I know all this stuff about money, like how is this happening? Why am I riding this roller coaster down when I should have seen this coming and I should have exited the market like some of these other smart guys. Cause I remember at that time looking out there and seeing all these these really, really wise hedge fund managers that got out of the market months before the great recession hit. And I didn't. And I was thinking, what do they know that I don't? But it didn't matter because now all of a sudden I'm caught in this whirlwind down and all my clients are losing money hand over fist. So that was a realization. Then after that, I built it back up, started buying real estate. And in 2014, this was the pinnacle. This is the point when I really started figuring things out, I lost it all again. I had 36 units, still a financial advisor, had sold off my, my retail store, still snowboarding. And some things I did, just lack of knowledge, brought me down, I had to sell all my units. Me and my fiance split, I had to sell my dream house, I had to sell the Audis, I had to sell everything, including true story that I don't ever talk about. I sold my bedroom set, I sold my bed, I sold every belonging I had because I just, I, I just was losing it all. I didn't know how to get to the next level. And I remember I went to a, a seminar from a postcard and I went really just to get an iPod shuffle. But at that seminar, I, I heard two very successful 
very wealthy individuals talk. One was had an A&E show flipping houses. The other guy was the bank. And they're talking about money. So I'm sitting in the back. My ears perk up. And I'm like, wait a second. They're doing things with money that I'd never been taught as a financial advisor after you know over a decade in the industry at a high level. And I kept listening to them. And they're talking about things that I'd never even heard of. So it made me question everything that I knew about money. And that's when I dove in. I, I literally went down the rabbit hole. 2014 straight up and now I'm a, a perpetual student I'll never stop learning but what I do and what I started doing back then is following around the ultra wealthy by ultra wealthy what what's the determining factor 10 million or more is, is my determining factor so when they have 10 million or more I start really looking at their patterns what they do how they do it and I, I talk to them I ask them and I only talk about money with them but they're glad to talk about money because they're they're beyond that level of where I was when I was a kid where, oh, don't talk about money. Don't ask them how much mm -hmm. they make. Don't that money's bad. It's evil. Don't talk about it. That's all we talked about. And I saw all these patterns. I saw all these things that these wealthy individuals did with money that I never was taught, never was shown and never even was brought up in all the years as a financial advisor. And I knew right there that there was something wrong with the system. There was absolutely something wrong. And I figured it out that system problem is that everyone else wants you to give up control of their money so that they can be in control of their money so they can make money on your money and you have to ride the roller coaster or what I call be on the financial hamster wheel the rest of your life. And sorry, you have choices and you can get off the financial hamster wheel if you change just one thing. And that's the secret that I learned and that's what the book's all about. So in the book again, is called Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery. And so before, I, I'm not really good at the direction on these cameras yet, <laughs> but it's a great book. I've read it, um, I, and I know we're going to dive into it a little bit more here in a minute, but before we do that, and I know with you being as entrepreneurial as you are, it's been a long time since you've probably had to interview for a job, right? But I'm curious, you know, when we're working with these job seekers that are in transition, you know, and they're starting to get desperate, you know, how can these people maintain a positive mindset when it comes to their financial well-being and position? My gosh, you know, that is such a wonderful question. And, you know, here's the thing. I think this is another big problem, whether it's interviewing or, you know, just having to go out and get a job because unemployment stopped paying the bonus checks. But here's the thing. Every single person out there, I don't care if you're in your dream job or the most hated job ever. It's all about mindset. Every single person should get up every day, be excited to go to their job because their job and everybody's job is to solve somebody else's problem. Mm -hmm. So let me let me give you an example to answer this question. Let's just say, let's pick the worst job there is, uh, recycling. Like let, let's say you work at a, a waste management company okay. and you're on the line at a recycling plant. And if you've ever seen one of these, the garbage trucks come up, they dump all the recycling bins on a giant conveyor belt. And there's people that stand along the edge of these conveyor belts and they sort all the trash. Oh wow! Now, it, yeah, think about it. Like that's bad because you know some of it's cardboard, some of it's old yogurt, some of it's old smelly, you know, curdled milk, dirty diapers, everything. So let's take two people on that same awful job. The one guy wakes up every morning miserable, Monday through Friday, hates his job, can't wait to you know get done with his job, can't pass the hours fast enough, doesn't think he's paid enough, complains and, and complains and complains. That's one guy. But then the other guy right across from him, okay? Same job, same pay, nothing's different. Gets up every morning, excited. Has his coffee, goes to work, he's all chipper and everything, he's doing the same thing. When that dirty diaper comes by that conveyor belt, he grabs, he laughs, he says, ah, 
I guess they mistake which bin to throw that one in. And he's going about his business. He's happy. He's whistling. What is the difference between those two individuals? They both make crappy money by their own, you know, look at it. They both are in the same position. One guy hates his job, can't stand it. When the dirty diaper comes by, he's complaining even more. And then the one guy's excited. What's the difference? The one guy that is happy to be at his job. He's there because he understands that he is solving a world problem. He understands the big picture. When he comes to work, he understands that by recycling, by doing what he does, he's saving trees and forests and humanity and, and all sorts of things. No matter how big his mind can think, he is solving a problem. The other guy, the only problem he ever thinks in his life that he's solving is his own. It's me, 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 me. The other guy is we, we, we. That's the difference. It's mindset. One person looks at it as I'm solving a world problem. The other person looks at it as my life sucks. This job sucks. I need this. I need that. That's the difference. So when you interview, think about it. When you go into an interview, understand that that interview, you are there to solve a problem. Might be a small problem, might be a big problem. Every company in the world has one goal, and that is to solve a problem. And if they solve that problem efficiently, they are going to be a successful business. And if they have employees that understand the culture and that problem and know that they're there to solve that problem, I think then they're going to go to work and they're going to have a completely different outlook of it, no matter what they make. I, I think that is so beautifully said. And, you know, a lot of people are like, Casey, why do you talk about mindset so much on the podcast? You know, we're talking about helping job seekers get jobs. And I'm, I agree with you 100%. It all starts with your mindset. You know, if you walk into an interview feeling like a victim, like, I can't get a job. Nobody will give me a job. That's going to come off and that's going to be your reality. You're not going to get a job. But if you change that mindset, then, you know, you start attracting those jobs to you instead of pushing them away. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. That is such a great point. Um, and, so yeah, I, I just got that because, like, I used to be that negative guy. I used to be that guy that complained and blamed everybody else and in those hard times that I mentioned, you know, I was always blaming outside forces. Everything was the reason for why I was in that place. When really I needed to look at myself and realize I'm here because I need to learn something mm -hmm. because I need to learn to give more. And I learned, need to learn that my, my full role is to solve other people's problems. And if I can just do that, my problems will take care of themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when we get above ourselves, like in your example, you know, it's the, we, 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 instead of me, me, me. And I think when you're in that victim mentality, I call it a level one energy, you know, you're so focused on yourself, you can't help those around you. And that makes you even more miserable and everything's happening to you, not for you, right? But when you Absolutely. change that energy level, you know, it, it just even shift it just a little bit, even if you have to shift it to where you're angry, that at least is a more, it's not as catabolic of an energy. And so, and it will help you you know, shift into those higher levels so that, you know, you can see the world for the beautiful place that it is instead of creating this horrible place that you've got to stay until you die. I agree. So, okay. So we're talking about money today. <laughs> um, so I know money management for a lot of people is a pretty scary topic. So why, why do you think that it's scary for people? I think because the world we live in and the different environments we learn in is we've all come to believe that money is really difficult. It's really hard. It's really complicated when really it's not at all. It's just, you know, I just used when I was an advisor. I mean, everything we were taught was high level, super complicated, high level stuff. And we were taught to go out and talk about it that way. 
But really, if you boil it all down, money is nothing more than a tool, just like the shovel in your garage. If you needed a hole, you'd walk in your garage and grab the spade shovel and you'd go out and you'd dig a hole. That shovel was designed to literally dig that hole. And there's lots of tools like that. Money is nothing more than a tool. And when we stop thinking about money as a tool and we start thinking about it as something other than a tool, we lose focus of its true purpose because money is nothing more than a means of exchange, okay? That's its job. It's a means of exchange for goods and services. Now that can be used in a negative way, but I think the complicated part about money is self-created. It's we literally have chosen to think we can't be a good steward of our own money. But I will tell you this, from an advisor and from my current standpoint, no one, I mean no one, not the best financial advisor, not the best hedge fund manager, not the best financial genius in the world cares more about your money than you do. So why in the world would you ever give up control of your money to somebody else when you will always care more about it and you will always know your goals, your dreams, and your desires more than anybody else will? And this is perfectly, I see so many things today and I see them from a different side because I come from that world and I can't believe what I'm seeing. I'm seeing people being led off a cliff and it's scary, but it makes perfect sense. Advisors have almost forgotten what their job is. An advisor's job isn't to make people money and that's part of it, but everybody can make money when the market's going up. They did a study back, I think it was the eighties or nineties where they took monkeys and they put them against the best stock pickers and they threw darts. The monkeys threw darts and hit stocks on the wall. And the monkeys beat these best stock pickers. It's in, in a rising market like we've been in, it's not hard to make money, but in a falling market, when the market crashes and burns, early 2000.com crash, 2008 Great Recession, last year's COVID, and what is coming in 2022 or 2023, which might be the next Great Depression, that is when people need an advisor because that's when all your dreams fall apart, all your dreams shatter. But again, if that's the case and you're putting that kind of faith in somebody else, somebody else that you're giving up control of your money to, are they going to look out for your best interest or are they gonna chase the dollar and chase the fees, chase the product sale, the commission and all that good stuff? That's really something that I can't give you a solid answer. You need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, I can be a good steward of my money. The cavalry is not coming and I should just learn one or two things on how to actually do this myself because you know, here's what it is. I think where people get steered wrong is the euphoria. People think they're missing out all the time. Right now, perfect example, we're at the high point of the markets. The markets are in a bubble and everybody's plowing money into the markets, which is the complete opposite of what Warren Buffett tells people to do. He says, buy low, sell high and don't lose money. But what are people doing? And what are they always done throughout history? Buy high because it feels good to buy when the market's high and it's going up and everybody else is throwing money in. But then what those people do is when the market crashes, they sell low because they can't lose anymore and they certainly lose money. Investing money, yes, there's some techniques to it. And there's a lot more, but from the simplest form, it's not hard. You just follow those three rules, buy low, sell high, and don't lose money. And secondarily, use Warren Buffett's second thing. When others are greedy, be fearful. And when others are fearful, be greedy. So right now, there's a ton of greed out there. Look around everybody's got money, everybody's buying Ferraris and Lamborghinis. And my God, you, you can't turn on TikTok without seeing another freaking Lamborghini. It's like, where does all this money come from? Is it real or is it not? Well, that I don't know. But everybody is thinking, I gotta get rich quick. Getting rich quick means getting poor even faster. 
Making money is a marathon. Building wealth is a marathon. It always has been and always will be. And the second you start playing the game the right way and understanding that a couple simple things consistently and persistently will make you, make you wealthier than you ever could be if you're chasing the short-term gains, then everything else falls in place. And I, I read this book, The One Thing, that had an unbelievable story at the end. It was about a, and if I have time, can I tell this? It's, it's about a, and this, I almost came to tears reading this. It was a father who wanted to read his paper and his son wanted to play and he, he dedicated the day to his son, but he just couldn't put the paper down. So he created a game, he took a, a picture of the world and he tore it up into a bunch of pieces and he put it on the table and he said, all right, son, we're gonna play a game. You're gonna, here's the tape, put this world together. And it was hard, it was like almost impossible to put this together. The father did it so he could buy time. Well, the son dropped one of the little pieces of paper on the ground and he looked up and when he looked up, it was a glass table and he looks on the other side and it was a picture of a person. Okay, it was a picture of a, a guy. So the, the kid really just stood underneath the table and he just put pieces together in the form of the guy. And when he got done, he said, dad, I'm all done. His father couldn't believe it. It happened. Like, how did you do that that quick? He said, son, how, how did you put that together that fast? Like that's almost impossible. And the son said, well, when I dropped the piece of paper, I looked up and I saw a picture of a man. And all I did is I just put the man together and the world appeared. Oh. Put the man together and the world appeared. So that, that's just one story, but money is the same thing. Don't make it complicated. Just put the man together, put yourself together and the rest will appear. But if you're in a rush, if you're chasing euphoria and you're chasing quick gains and you're, you're chasing the foam of the fear of missing out, you're gonna ride the same roller coaster everybody else is. But when everybody else is losing, when there's blood in the streets, that's, that's when you strike. And that's how you become a multimillionaire. Mm. That is some a lot. I, people are gonna have to go back and listen to this several times. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to it again because this is just a lot of information. But how? what are some tips, some practical tips that you can share with our job seekers that are in transition? They're not getting a paycheck, they're stressed. What can they do to maintain that financial balance? Sure, it's, it's super easy and, and this is definitely something that's gonna require people to take a little extra action and watch a little bit more info. But where everybody is always making the mistake when it comes to wealth building is they're always thinking, I gotta save more or I gotta take on more risk to build more wealth. When really where, where wealth goes is if you just look at what you make, I don't, if you're unemployed and you're on unemployment or getting the bonus checks, like you have income coming in, but very few people ever look at where all that money goes. Statistically, by the math, 90 cents of every single dollar the average American makes goes out the door to somebody else. So if we wanted to build wealth, the first place to start would not be, oh, I gotta find a new investment. I gotta put money in Bitcoin or Ethereum or this stock or that stock. The first thing they should do is stop create a simple budget, one side income, the other side expenses, but don't just write down your expenses and your debts, write down the balance that you owe to these companies, okay, credit cards, debts, all that, then write down the monthly payment minimum and the amount you're paying, and then write down the percentage you're giving away. And then organize the debts, okay, your credit cards, your loans, from lowest balance to highest balance, they call this snowballing. And then what you do is you then look at it and you say, how much money Am I giving away every single month to somebody else? And then ask yourself a second question. How do I take back some of the money I'm giving away to everybody else in the simplest way? Well, too many people try paying off the high balance credit mm -hmm. cards because they're like, oh, that's the highest interest rate. Stop doing that. Okay, start paying off the lowest balance. Maybe you owe $100 to Visa. You could pay it off every day, but you don't worry about it because you're just like, oh, I got to pay the big one off with the higher interest rate. 
pay the load balance of these off. So let's just let's just do some some examples here. Let's just say you owe Visa a thousand bucks, right? That's your lowest credit card, and Visa is charging you twenty percent interest on that credit card. But you're looking at you, then you owe American Express twenty thousand, and they're charging you twenty nine. So you think you should pay off the twenty nine percent credit card, but really, let's pay Visa off first because it's the smallest balance. When you pay Visa off with money that's sitting in your bank account or sitting somewhere else, you pay them off. You give them a thousand bucks. It's a thousand dollars you no longer have. But then where people make the mistake is they stop right there. But let's just say you were giving Visa $100 a month. Okay, I'm holding a $100 bill. Mm -hmm. You gave Visa $100 a month every month, which represented a 20% interest rate. Well, now what you should do now that Visa's paid off, take that $100 you used to give to Visa and change the name on the check, write your name, okay? Chris Noggles Bank. And take that $100 you used to give to Visa and put it into a separate bank account. Go to your bank and open up a separate segregated bank account and don't get checks don't get a debit card just open a separate bank account and set up an automatic transfer or a bill pay of that hundred dollars from the visa card that you used to pay and put that into that segregated account just let it keep going out of sight out of mind consistent and persistent then as that balance builds up and you save a little bit more move on to the next credit card and the next one and the next one and as you go down through them as you pay them off using money you've saved and also that segregated bank account as that builds up you pay them off and you keep doing the same thing. So it was 100 from Visa. It was 150 from Discover, 180 from a car payment. All these things and you just keep paying them all off, but you recycle and you recapture all the money that you were giving away. You will find that you will start building wealth very quickly and you didn't have to work any harder to build that wealth. You didn't have to take on any risk to build that wealth and you didn't have to give up control of your money to build that wealth. And if you just went through that whole line item, of all the debts and expenses, all it's going to do is take time and a little bit of effort on your pet, your part, and you start getting to the bottom. Now, I just said that to people that don't have a job. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're just doing that on very little money. Now, that might not be easy. I'm not saying anything in life is easy, but it's possible. Then, when you get a job, and you have a little extra money. It speeds that process up. But too many people get a job, and then all of a sudden they got a little more money, and then they go out and they spend more money stop just take a pause and spending and new things and realize that if i just sit back and i follow this process eventually i'm going to have a lot more money to do the things i really want and all i have to do is give up a little bit of time and follow this process and that's where most people miss out on wealth because most of the wealth people could have is given away to somebody else or somebody else's bank absolutely you know and that reminds me of the book the millionaire next door I'm sure you've read that Absolutely. and yep. it just them talking about how like, you know, these are like your teachers. Some of them were teachers and, you know, nurses, people that you wouldn't traditionally expect to be a millionaire, but they were using those same practices. I think maybe not those exact practices, but not giving their money away. Like you said, they were very, I don't want to, I guess they were kind of frugal, but you know. Are you showing me that book or something? No, <laughs> like no, I'm just, angle. I'm just leaning back in the chair, getting comfortable. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so this is a question that I think is really important because we deal with a lot of recent grads, right? And I wish somebody like you had been there to catch me when I was falling out of school to help me manage my money, help teach me, you know, what it took me years to learn how to do on my own, you know? So what advice would you give to college students to set them up for success, for financial success? 
Yeah, so the first advice I'd give is the same advice I'd give my younger self. The first advice I'd give is start giving more. Mm -hmm. In other words, you know, when you wake up in the morning, wake up with the intent to what am I gonna do to change somebody else's you know, life or somebody else's day? Or what am I gonna do today to make somebody, it can be simple, it can just be, what am I gonna do today to make somebody else laugh? And if you go out every single day with the intent to go out there and serve others, and solve other people's problems. And I don't mean big world problems. I mean, hey, maybe you know somebody that's just miserable all the time. Make them smile. Show them a good time for 10 minutes in the day. Like if you started every day with that, that gratitude, that giving would always come back to you. And I don't know how or when, or it, it, you can't do it with the intent of what's gonna come back. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is, if, if, if I just started doing what I do today back when I was younger, and I started pretty young, you know, I was always pretty regimented with saving. But if you just look at your finances, you know, even if you're just fresh out of school and you're like, I have no money, I'm broke, you're not broke. I've seen broke, and that's not what most college students mm -hmm. are. And if you just said, all right, you know what, every month, I'm going to take 100 bucks or 200 bucks, or 500 bucks, whatever your situation is, and I'm going to set it aside. Now, I didn't say invested. I didn't say buy Bitcoin. I didn't say Ethereum. I said, just set it aside. Now, the place where that money goes is important, but we're not going to probably get too deep into that. That's in the book. But if they just did that and they just set it aside and they just let it fill, and then when an opportunity presented itself, let's just say the Great Recession or the Great Depression comes in the next two years, like I'm saying, and you got all this money just sitting over here and it's killing you because you're like, oh, I want this, I want that, but I that guy said, I got to keep it in this account. Then all of a sudden the market drops. When there's blood in the streets, that's when you strike. You take that money you've been saving over here, that safe money, and you deploy that money into some investment. And it, it's not important what you put it in. When the whole market goes down, think of the tide, right? When the tide comes up, all boats rise. When the tide goes down, all boats fall. When all boats fall, that's when you want to buy. But then people always say, well, Chris, I wouldn't know when that is. Look around. Watch the news. When the news starts talking about everybody losing their jobs and you know people losing 30 or 50% of their markets, believe me, 2008, it was all over the news. Mm -hmm. When you start seeing all this carnage going on in the news, you start thinking to yourself, well, this is probably when Warren Buffett said I should buy. And then you start buying low. And it doesn't really matter what you buy because if it's all going down, just buy into an, you know, buy into an index, put money into privatized banking, put money into anything you want. But if you buy into right now, like that get rich quick thing where you're putting money in because you're, oh, I got to put it into the market now, I'm missing out. You will be the person that when the markets fall, I'm buying the stock that you're selling because I'm waiting because I was patient and because I follow a set of simple rules. Wow. That's, that's a lot to take in. Like I said, I am going to have to go back. I've got to go back and reread the book. I'm probably going to have to have a one-on-one -on -one coaching conversation with you after reading it. <laughs> and just, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this podcast. There's so much information in here. And I really want to encourage our listeners to get the book because it's got, it's pretty packed with information. And I think that, you know, he doesn't, Chris doesn't hold anything back. He's not keeping any secrets from us. And I, I, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate you being here today. So um, but before I let you go, because uh, can you believe our time is almost up? Oh my gosh, it just flies. It, it flies. Um, before I let you go, I do have to ask you our VIP questions. Are you ready? 
Oh my goodness. Cue the music. I knew these were coming. I just <laughs> knew they were coming. All right, lay it on me. All right. So if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? All right, so it's definitely people because things are just things and they don't really matter, but it would probably be important when I get there. So I would pick first and foremost, my daughter. Okay, because I wouldn't want to live without her. So if I'm going to go to some place, I'm going to give it a shot. I want her with me. So that's person number one. Person number two, if, if it's Mars, it's got to be Elon Musk. He's been studying Mars for a long time. So he's got to know a thing or two more than I do. And I just want that button of that person smarter than me. And the number three person, and I literally had to research this, literally, like we had to go online and find this. Her name is Jenny Zing, X-I-A-N-G. So why would she be my third pick? She's a top botanist. So if we're going to go to Mars, we got to eat and we got to drink. I have no idea how to grow plants on Mars and how to do that. And yes, is it from the movie with Matt Damon? Of course it is, but he made it. And maybe it's just fixed, you know, like science fiction or whatever you want to call it. But I got to believe that if I had a botanist, the top in the world, I got a better shot of surviving with me and my daughter. And at that point, that's the only thing I would care about. I think that's very true. And you know, it's funny how science fiction tends to mimic reality sometimes, right? Sometimes and the history always repeats itself. Yep. Lessons right there. For sure. Okay, this is my favorite question. I am so curious. What is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? It's very easy. The very first thing I do before my eyes are even open is I roll out of bed, I put one knee on the ground, I put my hands together and I thank God for the day. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. And, and you know, and I think that's so important too because again, it goes back to the gratitude, right? If you start your day with gratitude, it, it can only go up from there. I, I, I'm a huge believer in bookending your day with gratitude. Not only do you start your day, but you end your day with gratitude. Cause you, you've got to add that. Yeah, so, okay. So my final question, if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? Chris Noggle solved millions and millions of people's money problems by helping them put themselves back in control of their money. Beautiful, beautiful. And that definitely describes you. So how do people find you? How do they get your book? Yeah, just go to chrisnoggle.com. So we were talking about giving and giving and giving, right? So mm -hmm. this book, Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery is free. Just go on chrisnoggle.com, two index swipes, grab a copy of that book for free. And I do a weekly webinar every week that is 100% free. We drop all sorts of, sorts of gold nuggets. Plus, I'll give you my brand new book, which nobody really has. It's called Drifting Away from Traditional Car Buying, How to Keep Both Your Car and Your Finances in the Fast Lane. This book, it's actually a booklet, teaches you how to get all the money back for every single car you will ever buy, drive, and own by changing just one thing. So just go to chrisnoggle.com and you can have all that stuff and a lot more. I, I'm going to get the new book. I don't have that one. <laughs> it's brand I'm new. the worst Literally, when it comes to car buying. Just rolled off. I'm the absolute worst. So, well, thank you so much for sending me a copy of your book. I really enjoyed it. And I love that you signed it to my boyfriend. Thank you for that too. He's enjoyed it as well. Um, and, and we're both kind of in that track right now where we're trying to discover, okay, what do we do? You know, what do we do with our money? And so this has been very helpful. Um, thank you so much for your time today. And I just have one last thing to say to you, Chris. You are a VIP. Love it. This was an honor and a privilege. Thanks for having me on the show. And that's a wrap for today. 
Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.